all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. We want to thank VetBiz Central, which is part of the U.S. Small Business Association, VBOC, Vet Business Outreach Centers. VetBiz Central covers Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, and can be reached at vetbizcentral.org. Let's move on to our programs. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Dale Brown. Dale is a prolific author and also a veteran. He was a captain of the United States Air Force. Dale, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Well, we're always glad to talk to somebody who's uh, got as much uh, uh, history and probably written word uh, than most. And and this is sort of an interesting discussion. And for those, I think everybody should know who Dale Brown is, but for those who don't, he is a military adventure writer or a military thriller writer, um, as uh, some describe it. And he's been prolific over the last uh, almost 30 years of uh, plus of doing this. So we're going to talk about his uh, upcoming book, Arctic Storm Rising, a Nick Flynn novel. But before we get into that, Dale, why don't you remind our veteran radio listeners how and when and why you joined the military? Well, I've always wanted to fly and I've always wanted to write. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to do both, but uh, but but definitely fly. And that's why that's why I got into the Air Force and um, went through ROTC and then I got into B-52s and uh, just abs- absolutely loved it. Cross-trained over to the uh, to the FB-111 bomber. Absolutely loved that one, too. For a, for a radar navigator flying the FB-111, we did everything except except takeoff, land, and air refuel. We, um, the, the navigator was the co-pilot. He was the electronic warfare officer. He was the bombardier. He was the navigator. So, I, so it was absolutely great, really great assignment. 
Well, and you uh, went through the ROTC program, the Air Force ROTC program, I think, at uh, Penn State University? That's right. That's right. And before that, uh, let's put some uh, timing on this. You said you always wanted to fly. You wanted it so bad that at 15, you began flying instructions. What did the parents think of that? Uh, actually, they, I don't think they liked it at all. I think uh, <laughs> uh, I would, uh, in fact, I didn't have a car at the time. I lived I lived on an island right above Niagara Falls, and I had to, I had to hitchhike across Grand Island to get to the to a Niagara Falls airport, and uh, I did a few lessons. I really didn't have the money to uh, to do much much flying lessons, and I think my my folks were real happy about that. With with uh, with not, and back then it was only maybe ten or fifteen dollars an hour to fly, but 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 that was a lot of money back then just for a for a hobby. So so um, so I didn't do a whole lot of flying in high school, but. Um, and actually, I didn't get my pilot's license until uh, until I, after I was in the Air Force. So, so it's been uh, it's been a long time. But but now I've I've been flying now for uh, for over thirty years, and and uh, you know still love it. Still still challenging for me. I, I like the training though. I like I like going to school. I like flying sim- the simulators, and and uh, and I think you have to keep up with the with the training and and never stop learning to be a pilot. Well, there's, I think, a lesson there, too, for even though your parents weren't thrilled about, uh, and, and, and I'm not sure many parents would be thrilled about their 15-year-olds going up and flying uh, when he can't even drive yet, but but it's that early passion, wasn't it? It was really that recognition of, man, this kid is dedicated. He has a certain amount of passion, and it's kind of important not to not to uh, snuff out that passion, isn't it? You're right, absolutely. I think there was a balance there. I think my folks uh, folks really did it very well. They they wanted to balance the things that I wanted to do, and I mean, as long as I did all the other stuff, kept up with my grades in high school, which I did, and uh, you know, did the chores and all the other stuff you're supposed to do as a teenage boy. As long as I was doing that, they encouraged me to to uh, to uh, keep on flying, even though I had to had to hitchhike. There was no car. Um, I mean, I had to get to the airport myself, but I did it, and and uh, it was a real lesson for me too, as as well as them. Um, you you but, you but, said though, Dale, the other passion was writing. How what what instilled that passion, and how did you keep that passion alive uh, to where eventually it became your professional career? Well, I think uh, I think all good writers are good readers, and I love reading, um, and. Uh, so I just uh, I just decided one day to uh, to uh, to uh, give it a try. You know, I I would write. We had a project uh, back when I was in high school to uh, to build a to build a break wall to build a. We lived on the uh, on the banks of the Niagara River, and uh, we wanted to build a break wall, but but we were because environmental laws we weren't allowed to do that. So I would I took up writing to my congressman. I wrote wrote probably a half a dozen letters to him. We finally got the project done, but, but I think that's what really got me writing. Um, I started working for the high school newspaper and, and loved that. Uh, once I got to Penn State, I had a column in the uh, in the in the Penn State Daily Collegian. So it you know that was my first paying job, paying writing job, and it was only maybe six dollars a week, but but uh, but I was actually getting paid to write. 
And then I started freelancing after that and uh, finally decided to write a novel. Well, it's, uh, again, one of those things where there, once that passion gets uh, ignited, you want to keep the flames going, and, and it really has been something here. Um, I want to round out the military career for, for our listeners, and we're talking to Dale Brown, who's a prolific author of military adventures, um, and we're going to talk about his most recent one, Arctic Storm Rising. But uh, you did, what, eight years, was it, uh, Dale, in the Air Force, and you had, you clocked about 2,500 hours in B-52s? Is that about right? That's exactly right. It was, uh, we didn't do all the, really all that much flying in the B-52s because our job back then was to pull alert, to, uh, to get ready for World War III. So, uh, so we pretty much sat the whole time. We, of course, we had to fly the airplane, uh, or probably flew the airplane uh, once every two weeks or so. But but our real job was to get ready to fight World War III. So we so we sat alert. So, so that was it was seven days on, seven days off, and then then back on again. So so it was um, yeah. So our job really back then was to was to get ready to go to war and. And uh, now I got got probably 750, 800 hours in the uh, in the FB 111. Uh, and, but- and it's during that, you know, anybody who's uh, been on alert, uh, anybody been in the service, you know, there's a lot of downtime, a lot of waiting time for almost everything. Um, but it was during that period of time you actually wrote your your first uh, uh, novel, I think. You were at Mather right. Air Force Base, um, and you wrote your your first, uh, I guess, published book. Right, yeah. A uh, Flight of the Old Dog was the first one that, that came out back in 1987, and uh, I started the book sitting on alert. And like you said, you have a lot of you have a lot of downtime. Now, what I should have been doing was working on my master's degree and working on 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 a professional military the professional military education stuff. <laughs> Instead of doing that, I was writing a novel, and I you were, you were screw, well, at the time I was screwing around. But uh, yeah. that's what we—that's what we all did, and we all should have been doing our professional military <laughs> education. But let, let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, Arctic Storm Rising, which is this interesting um, clash between Russia and the United States, and and. Uh, um, some things going up on up in Alaska, which is easy to think uh, so far away we th- forget about it. Before we tell more about that story uh, that you want listeners to know about, what inspired you to re- write about that um, area, that space, those issues? Well, I think uh, I think the Arctic is going to be a major battle gr- battleground in the near future. I think. Uh, with the uh, with the polar ice caps shrinking and and uh, it seems like Russia is building more and more bases in the Arctic, um, I think that's going to have a real real importance. Uh, just I mean, right now the uh, going from the Pacific to the Atlantic, uh, you can make it four times faster if you go go over the uh, over the pole. So so uh, once large ships are are able to do it without icebreakers. I think that's that's really going to open up the Arctic, so I think that could very easily become a major battleground. And I think I think the Russians are getting ready for that battleground, and I think I think the United States should also. And that's why I I wrote the novel because I want to want to make people aware of what's going on in the Arctic. Well, and that's really a signature of Dale Brown's stories is this mix of 
what's going on today that kind of inspires it or, or looking into the future and sort of saying, geez, I can see this coming. Let me put this in a format that folks will read. And, and uh, I, I guess in some regards, you're trying to educate uh, the reader about what might be coming. Isn't, isn't that, am I reading it the right way? Yes, absolutely. I've always, I've always tried to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm big into technology. I like reading about you just technology. stole you just stole my next question. Go ahead and answer this one, then I'm going to ask <laughs> ask you about technology because I had the same response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that that subject. I love finding out what's going to happen, what's on the drawing boards now that that will start coming out in the next three three to five years or so, and then write about that technology as if it really exists right now. So that's what I've always tried to do, and I think. Now, uh, I think Arctic Storm Rising is a little bit less less heavy with the technology. It's a uh, it's more of a small unit operation up in the Arctic, but it's uh, still has a little bit of a uh, futuristic technology. But I, I really try to get away from the the uh, the futuristic stuff and just and, and just talk about small units, uh, small unit tactics, and and j- just writing about the Arctic, which is a whole whole another area. I think you're you're absolutely right. It's very easy to to uh, forget about the Arctic and uh, forget about Alaska and forget about the conditions up there and what's it like to fight conflicts up there. And I think think that's really what I wanted to uh, to show people also. Well, this, this fits right, uh, this book, Arctic Storm Rising, fits right into that pattern of, uh, and I, you've got a dozen or so bestsellers that fit right into this category of sort of dealing with geopolitical and technology advances and, and how... It, it, it fits into military or country conflict. So um, nobody's going to be dis- disappointed in, in reading this one. Um, tell us a little bit about Arctic Storm Rising. Well, it's, uh, it's really what I want to envision will be the, the, uh, the opening salvos of a, of a conflict set, set in the Arctic. I think um, I want to try to, to, uh, to tell the readers that, as you say, educate the readers and and uh, what's it like to fight up there? What's it like to survive up there? And uh, and really kind of map out what a possible conflict would be. Small unit size, not not very large, not a not a whole World War type type scenario, but just but what's it like to live up there? What's it like to fight up there? And uh, exactly how. Uh, a battle between the United States and Russia might develop like that. Well, what we hear so much when we read the newspaper about sort of uh, both China and Russia testing the U.S. Um, in different theaters around the world. And, and I think I just read that uh, uh, China is flying uh, planes at you know, 100 feet off the sea into Taiwan airspace just to see how good the radar systems are. And, and, exactly. and that's sort of a, what you've got going in, in Arctic Storm Rising is the Russians making some aircraft penetration into U.S. airspace just to see, what, see what's going on. Um, t- tell us what your thinking was there as, as setting up that part of the story. Well, it's, um, I don't want to give away too much of the story either. No, absolutely. The- I'm trying to work around it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but the Russians have a reason why they want to go into the Arctic, and and uh, you know I don't want to give it away after that. But but uh, but they're not just just testing the United States. They, they actually have a 
they have an objective about why they want to go into the Arctic. And the, uh, and the United States really isn't set up to, to, uh, to fend them off yet. That, that, so there's a small unit that I, that I talk about led by, by Nick Flynn, who, uh, who's really the only um, major force in the Arctic that the United States has that, that could deal with this. And Nick has some, some skills. He has some knowledge and, and, and experience. So, so he's the best guy to, uh, to, uh, to throw into this, this battle. He's uh, he sort of finds himself in the Arctic, um, you know, not really wanting to be there, but but uh, but it, it turns out he's the best guy to, to head there. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because we oftentimes in life you find yourself presented with a challenge or an opportunity, and and you're there because somebody else puts you in a what they they hoped was a dead end job, and they never hear from you again, right? <laughs> Absolutely, that's that's exactly what happens here, and and. Uh, Nick has to make make lemonade out of lemons. You know, he has to he has to turn that 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 new chapter in his life into an opportunity to to excel, to to defend his country, and to to save his unit. So so he uh, he had he had two choices when the when the bad things happened to him. Could he could he get out of the military? Could he could he just not just not do his job? Not um, I mean, really have a bad attitude about it, or or can he turn it into an advantage and an opportunity? And that's what the story's about. And, and really, there's another one of those life lessons I think you're giving to folks is, you know, don't don't just cap a bad attitude. Don't just walk away. Um, apply yourself. Do what has to be done. The job in front of you and do it well. Um, you know, I think that, I think there's a lesson there, isn't there? Yeah, you know, there sure is. I think that that. Um, I mean, all the bad things that happened to Nick Flynn, you would, you wouldn't, my, my, or you wouldn't really uh, fault him if he did just just give up or or you know bail out of the military. But he he make he turns it into an advantage for himself, and in the same time as it benefiting himself, it benefits the country. It um, and it. It averts a major disaster, so so he does his job. Let me ask you this, Dale. After um, you've been writing for thirty plus years at this point, um, it's always been a passion of yours. How do you stay fresh? How do you bring the next idea out and and make it as interesting and fresh as as if it was years ago? What I do, what I like to do I do a lot of consulting with the writing business uh, I, I deal with a lot of uh, high schoolers and, and young college people to tell them not necessarily the nuts and bolts of you know how to put together a sentence and and you know style and character and all that other stuff but you, you talk about the business of writing you talk about the stuff that's in your head with writing that you need to to overcome it and I think Teaching it and, and talking about the writing business sort of helps me get get past the writer's blocks and the other uh, the slow times where I expect to write five or six pages a day and only one or two come out and I that that kind of gets you down a little bit you know has a little little you know, maybe not depression but 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 just but just disappointment when you really expect to do better to do more. And it's not happening, but but I think talking about the writing business to young people 
who up who have no idea how to get into it and to some older people who who are maybe retired from a different line of work and now they want to they want to write the novel they've had had rattling around in their head for so long i want to speak to those guys also but when i do that it's, it sort of inspires me at the very same time to to uh, to get on with my work and I, to, and also i think doing the research for these for these books especially with the technology which i love anyway that it's uh you write about this uh this new technology or this new aircraft or or stealth or or hypersonics or whatever and and um you may at least i immediately start thinking about okay what if you know what if russia did have these hypersonic weapons or china was uh i had a long-range weapon they can they can um you know they can kill an aircraft carrier and you start thinking about the story and then you think about okay there's the the other basic story the the plot might be something triggers a conflict between the united states and china in the south china sea and uh, and now this new uh new aircraft carrier killer it is being used for the first time or threatening to use it so 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 immediately start with the technology and then start building a story around it and i that's generally how i do it it's, it's really plot based not really character based to me the characters serve the story and not the other way around so so my my stories usually start with the technology with the gadgets with the aircraft and uh and then the characters come later and, and they serve the story and not the other way around well and technology is always advancing so there's always something new and fresh and you know yeah. and, and we're not talking sci-fi here we're talking you know, we're not talking military science fiction. We're talking about things that are just over, just at the horizon, or maybe just over the horizon. And and again, in the defense press or the military press, almost on a daily basis, you read something and go, at least I do, and I go, wow, never thought of that. Whoa, that's something. A, a, you know, a rail gun. Wow, on a ship. Hmm. You know, um, so, yeah, the, I can see how you can keep it fresh. Let me ask you, though, le- uh, we're coming out of, uh, well, hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic. Talk a little bit about the challenges of staying true to your craft over the last year when we've had this crazy COVID pandemic going on. Actually, you know, the the uh, for me, for the most part, it really hasn't changed me all that, that much. My, I mean, I've been been uh you know sheltering in place for for over 30 years already you know, <laughs> i go in the uh, i go in the office and i stay there and i i mean i do have little meetings with with uh, with other writers and i um i i still fly a lot so that's that's kind of a solo operation and and uh, so so you know life really hasn't changed that much for me it's i mean going out doing the social stuff meeting with other writers like i said that's hard to do uh, still. Uh, things are starting to open up a little bit more. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, that part's been, been hard. But for the most part, it's been pretty much the same during the, pan- during the pandemic. We, we did see a number of publishing houses just stop putting out new books uh, during the last year because, they, you know, they, because of the pandemic and they weren't sure how all this was going to fit together and their people were scattered we're seeing that to open it up again Be- between the um, electronic book readers and 
buying online books online um, has that aspect of the of the business of writing books uh, changed for you as you've seen it the uh, the ebooks definitely that that's been uh, that's been the biggest revolution i think in the uh, in the whole writing business and and uh, that that's definitely changed the sales for for ebooks are are quickly approaching that of paperbacks and i think that uh, it's only going to going to expand i think people started to 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 learn more about ebooks and e-magazines and things like that and um now we're starting to realize the the how easy it is to get a book and to uh, to to have it. I mean, you think about it or you hear about it, you hear about it, see an ad for it and things like that, and you you can you can immediately go on your Kindle or go on your on your tablet and you can order it in seconds. So it's pretty amazing that that's really transforming. Publishing houses love it, I think, because they don't have to you know they don't have to warehouse as many books. Uh, the uh, the other printers probably don't like it a whole lot, but but uh, but I think the publishers love it, and I think the uh, I think the readers are starting to get more you know more accustomed to it. I still know a lot of people who you know who love the feel of a book and they want to hold it and they want to they want to have it and they want to put bookmarks and, and notes in it. A lot of things you can't do with an ebook, but uh, but I think people are starting to realize that. Uh, all the advantages of ebooks, and I think they're going to get more, more sophisticated. They're going to have more multimedia type novels. They're going to have uh, more, more illustrations. They're going to put music in them. They're going to, going to have a cast of, cast of people. Um, you know, we're just going to, going to think of ways to, to make the, uh, the ebooks more interesting. And I, I think it's revolutionizing the, uh, uh, the publishing industry. You gave me some interesting ideas there that I hadn't heard of. I appreciate that, Dale. We're talking to Dale Brown, who is a best-selling author of military adventures and thrillers. His uh, latest uh, novel is The Arctic Storm Rising, a Nick Flynn novel. Um, you you work a, through about one of these a year or so that, that then uh, go on to uh, get on the New York Times bestseller list. Um do you discipline yourself, uh, Dale, to say I got to I got to knock out a new novel every year? Is it is it that kind of uh, uh, military discipline that you have? Well, it's a it's a business decision, also. You know, you you make a contract, you make an agreement with the publisher that that you're going to come out with a book every year. So that 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 sort of drives it, but but it, it you know just one of those things. Yeah, I just love to do it. I mean, I I love coming up with stories and coming up with characters and uh i usually don't don't take any time off between books it's it's uh you finish one and i've got a i've got a little notebook in my back pocket that has ideas for for you know probably another six or seven books <laughs> and just i really can't don't lose can't the notebook don't lose no, the notebook absolutely, <clears throat> yeah absolutely not it's uh it's, it's funny when those ideas come around you know it's it's not just you, know, you wake up in the middle of the night and and uh, although that's happened to me, but it's, but it's, I'll be, I'll be watching TV or listen to the radio, you know, driving to the airport and, and all of a sudden somebody will say something or they'll, they'll talk about some new, new technology or they'll talk about, as you, as you mentioned, China flying these, these are uh, these missions near, near Taiwan. Um, 
things like that. And you get a and you get a, a thing like that, and then the story starts. To, you write down the information that that you just heard about, and then you make notes with it afterwards about about what what kind of story you would you would insert into there. So so, and I'll jot this this stuff down after I get to the airport, and maybe not look at it for another for another two or three weeks, but I'll look at it again, and then then make more notes about the the uh, the the plot devices for the story. So it's it's a process, and I've. I've got so many pages of that in the little notebook that that I can't wait to get at one of them, start flipping through all these notes, and start to work on one. I know the contract says I've got a I've got a new book that that needs to first draft have to has to be in takes about nine months to do a do a first draft, and it's um, so I've got to get busy. You know, I'll take one of those ideas, uh, you know, make some more notes. Uh, uh, scratch things out, add more things to it, and just get busy. So, so I really take take some time off between books because I just can't can't wait to get at the next one. Well, that's what you have to be to to be that passionate about something which you've been your whole life, both both with flying and writing, and they get to intersect uh, as you as you write these novels. Uh, Arctic Storm Rising is on sale now, and you can find it at all your online booksellers and your independents. Uh, as well. Um, Dale, as we wrap up, if folks want to keep track of what you're doing and what you're saying next, uh, is there a website or some place where they should uh, turn their attention? Yeah, I think Facebook would be the best you know, the best place to keep track with me. I, I update that quite often. So it's it's at author Dale Brown. And uh, f- please feel free to, to make comments, make uh uh, I'll give me story ideas if you'd like. I, I, I love answering pe- folks' emails. I probably do well, probably about 100 per month. Um, not necessarily story ideas, but, but criticisms of the books or, or praise for the books. And it's uh, I love getting emails and messages on Facebook. So, so that's the best place to do it. I, well, that's I've been really that's, I've been behind that's great. Well, I, I want to wrap this up. Uh, I don't want to keep you any longer uh, than I promised. We appreciate the time that you've given us to, uh, today, Dale Brown, and we wish you nothing but the best in Arctic Storm Rising. And thanks for spending a little time with Veterans Radio today. Well, thank you very much. I hope you invite me back. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans. And you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or LegalHelpForVeterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to VeteransRadio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, the U.S. Small Business Administration Veterans Business Outreach Center, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. 
VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed. <laughs>